0: This series on the Spiritual Disciplines is about giving us the tools to actually, fundamentally, be changed. We're embarking on the path of disciplined grace. Disciplined because there's a role for us to play. Grace because real inner change is always and only ever a free gift given to us by God. God could have created humans as immovable rocks, like blocks of granite. Instead, He gave us freedom. The capacity for moral, emotional, and spiritual transformation. We can become better people. The key is understanding how. Amen. Uh, Have a seat. Very nice to see you. Uh, Welcome. My name's Ed, and along with Hannah, who is leading the service, I lead the church that meets here. You're very, very welcome. Uh, We are carrying on. Uh, This is the second week of our series on the spiritual disciplines. Um, and over the course of this series, we're going to look at a bunch, not an exhaustive list, but a bunch of disciplines. This week is prayer, which is kind of timely, um, given everything that's going on in our world. Uh, and we are, at the end of the service, going to um, pray specifically uh, for the situation in Ukraine. And my iPad has just gone. Um, as I said last week... Uh, Discipline is a bit of a dirty word. Uh, a lot of people have sort of suffered by living under the impression that being a Christian is really about all about being disciplined. Yes, of course God loves you, but now it's over to you, and you must do more of this, and you must do less of that. And if you don't do this, Jesus will not be pleased with you, but if you do, do he will be. This is not what we're talking about at all when it comes to spiritual disciplines. Rather, these are like tools for us to use over a lifetime and to grow into our knowledge and understanding of, to get better at better at using them. They are tools to place us in a position to receive from God and his grace. It's only ever his grace, his power that changes anything in us, but we do have a role to play. And these are the ways in which we can uh, have a role and put ourselves in place to receive from him. So they are certainly most uh, most certainly not laws. Legalism always takes us away from Jesus, not closer to him. So a discipline that has become rigid is no longer fit for purpose, and the best thing we can do is give that up once and for all. For the spiritual disciplines to work, they need, um, we need to be governing them, not them governing us. And, of course, they need to, to be taken out of purely the theoretical. Um, as some People said last week, very kindly, uh, my talk was excellent. Uh, it was uh, last week. Um, but it's a mistake to just go, that's some nice theory. And then to go about our, uh, our uh, weeks without much thought uh, anymore on it. Actually, we have to put these into practice uh, in order to be changed. And changed not just for our own sake. What the world probably doesn't need is some more self-related people, however noble our uh, aims are for ourselves. These disciplines are, are given to us so that we might actually also be a blessing to the world outside. Ultimately, the spiritual disciplines are about realizing a greater good. And the greater good is Jesus himself. He is always the end. And these are really just means of getting there. So, with that in mind, let us turn our attention specifically to the spiritual discipline of prayer. It is hard to overemphasize the importance that pretty much every well known Christian figure has placed on prayer. Paul encourages us to pray without ceasing. Martin Luther said that to be a Christian without praying is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And of course, Jesus, our model in all things, rose early in the morning, long before the sun had even come up, and went to lonely places so that he could pray to his father in secret. Such was the foundational and vital importance of prayer to him. And yet, if we just are honest with ourselves for a second, that's not always our experience of prayer, is it? For many of us, actually, prayer is quite a drag. Can we remember the last time we did it? Now, in my mind, a lot of that is down to both a misunderstanding of what prayer is and how to do it. So, as we start, how not to pray. Many people grow up thinking that prayer is really primarily about asking God for things. I remember, um, I wasn't a Christian at university, but I remember meeting a Christian. And he told me, and I have to say there was a sort of hint of um, self-importance and pride in his voice. He told me that he had a list of every single name of all the undergraduates in the college. It was about 600 people. And he said, I pray for every single person by name in college throughout the week. I have a list, and I tick them off. Now, I don't mean to say that this was without value. I was, of course, one of the names on his list. <laughs> And I did become a Christian, so he is in some way responsible for that. But, uh, and of course, God will use any sort of prayer. But uh, I have to say, it was that sort of view of prayer that put me off Christianity for so long. What, I'm going to have to do that? Please no. The truth is prayer, though, can and needs to be so much more rich and dynamic than just a list that we tick things off. The picture the New Testament paints of prayer is not one methodical box-ticking exercise. I mean, can you imagine Jesus praying with a list? Lord, I pray for Brian. Father, I pray for Adam. Now I pray for Kevin. You know, he wouldn't do that. Prayer is about dynamic intimacy of closeness to God by his spirit. Earlier this week, Uh, Ben and Tavia, wasn't that great worship from Tavia, amazing, thank you Tavia, Uh, but they were leading our prayer and worship night on Wednesday and they actually both admitted uh, very vulnerably that they had arrived going, I'm really tired, I do not want to do this and actually I think Ben said something like, "Um, I'm not too sure about this whole Christian thing anyway, (laughs) it's two-sixths of our staff team there. And actually, I I was there, and I didn't have to be there. I wasn't leading the thing. And I arrived, and I thought, why did I come to this? I could be in bed. Uh, Three-sixths of our staff team. (laughs) But what happened for all of us is that just a little bit of time praying and worshipping together, actually being in God's presence, and the whole thing changes. Because the Spirit is there and the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And that is what we're experiencing and suddenly we are lifted out of ourselves and we're going, "I I don't want this to stop, this is great, I didn't want to leave. As I've said before, I am a much nicer person after I've prayed. Do not find me before I've prayed in the morning. It is bad. Prayer is not supposed to be tedious and hard work primarily. It's supposed to be wonderful and joy-filled. Secondly, if we reduce prayer to a list excuse me <coughs> Don't worry about that. If we reduce prayer to a list of requests what we are subconsciously or otherwise doing is turning our relationship with God into something purely transactional. So if God answers our prayers, great, I am full of faith, I'm a happy Christian because he's done what I wanted him to do. But if he doesn't, well, that puts our whole faith on very shaky ground. Because that's the only thing it's really built on. Have you ever found yourself saying, if he doesn't answer this prayer, if this prayer is not a yes, I don't know whether I can carry on. I think I might have to give up. Were you nodding your head, Alice? It's terrible. But sadly, in all seriousness, this is why many Christians have just given up praying altogether at least then you can't be disappointed, can you? I have a lot of sympathy for this. Or if they haven't given up, what they have done is made their prayers, consciously or otherwise, more and more vague. God, I just pray that you um just really um just just really just um uh, just you know just come close to, to him. The vaguer the better on one level, nothing ventured, nothing gained, but also nothing lost. But I've got to say, none of this will do. I want to empower all of us, every single one of us, into a joy-filled, faith-filled, dynamic, exciting prayer life. The potential in this room. For each one of us, if we just grasped a tiny fraction of what it would be like to pray like Jesus. Imagine what we could do. Imagine the damage we could do to the kingdom of darkness. Imagine that. If we took seriously the power of prayer, if we learned how to pray, if we prayed the things that God really wanted us to pray, what would we see? Sickness gone. People's lives transformed. What would your life look like? Full of the Spirit. Full of all his fruit and his power. Imagine what it would be like. This is what we're trying to go for. But in order to do this, what we need to do is to agree that we need to start again when it comes to prayer. Let us all agree together this morning that we are going to become prayer novices. We are going to be intercessory apprentices. We are going to be invocationary neophytes. Don't tell me you don't know what neophytes means. Firstly, we are going to become novices because, as I've said, there's quite a few things that we need to get rid of that have not done us any good when it has come to our prayer life. So let's just have a completely clean slate when it comes to it. And secondly, we are going to become novices because actually that is entirely what we are. Jesus' disciples, who would have prayed multiple times every single day their whole lives, nevertheless, when they saw Jesus, explicitly said to him, teach us how to pray. Because what they saw in him was a way of praying completely unlike anything they'd ever seen before. It's something which Paul understood too. He says, none of us actually know what to pray for. But, and this is the important thing, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit prays with us, with groans and sighs too deep deep for words. He intercedes for us. What the disciples see in Jesus and what Paul knew is that ultimately prayer is a spiritual activity guided by the Spirit, enlivened by the Spirit, because he is our teacher and we are his students. So the prayer before all other prayers for us should be, Spirit, come. Spirit, fill my imagination. Guide my thoughts. Show me where to go in my prayer. Now, no one ever, ever gets to the place of not needing the Spirit's help. We will always be learning, but the more we are able to let him guide us, him take over our prayer life, the more we will find that we are actually praying in the spirit as Jesus did and seeing extraordinary things happen. So let's do, do this now. Would you like to bow your heads? Spirit of the living God, we welcome your presence here. And we ask that you would be speaking to us right now. We thank you that you know all the needs of the world. You know all our needs. And we ask that you would guide our steps. You would lead us in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Good? Good. Having done that, let's look at some of Jesus' teaching on prayer so we can learn better how to follow him in it. This is Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Well, would you mind getting me a glass of water? Thank you so much. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, Jesus is not here precluding praying in public or praying in groups. After all, on a number of occasions, he does both of those things. Rather, Jesus is contrasting real, spirit-filled prayer. Thank you so much. Jesus is contrasting proper, spirit-filled prayer with superficiality. Uh, Hannah and I watched a movie the week, uh, The Worst Person in the World. I don't know if you've seen it. You love it. It was okay. Uh, Hannah also loved it. Should we have a discussion? Um, why did you like No, um, It's a Norwegian film about a sort of millennial girl finding her way in the world. And um, at one point, she uh, sort of gate crashes her wedding, and she meets, she's called Julie, and she meets this guy called Elvind. And both of them are already in um, relationships, but they're not very happy in those relationships. And at this wedding, uh, they just sort of laugh and dance and talk to each other for for a long time, and the chemistry just sort of builds and builds and builds. But they've decided that they are not going to cheat on their partners. Um, So they have a long discussion over how they can kind of come close to each other without cheating and what cheating might um, uh, entail and what it doesn't. And at one point, uh, they decide that smelling each other would be fine. Uh, So they sniff each other. And it's actually this extraordinary thing. It's far more intimate and sort of intoxicating than any love scene. It's just incredible. Um, And then it carries on. And at one point, uh, Julie says, "Um, tell me something that you've never been able to admit to anyone else uh, that's deeply personal to you, uh, and I'll do the same. She goes first, and she does this incredibly sort of um, personal thing. And then he says, I didn't realize we were going that deep. I was going to say that I really like the architecture of a building that everyone else thinks is a bit ugly. Uh, But I probably need to do something more than that. And they're just kind of alone in this room. And he says, but can I just whisper it to you? And she says, yeah, that's fine. And so he sort of goes up to her and he just whispers this thing in her ear and we as the audience don't hear it. No one hears it. It's just this little moment between the two of them. And it's at this point that you kind of see the expression on their faces. This connection, this depth and this beauty between them suddenly brought to life. Now, of course, our relationship with God is not sexual, nor is it romantic. Something which some Christian songwriters would do well to understand. I do not want to sing about Jesus being my boyfriend anymore. I do not want to kiss him. Our relationship with God is not romantic, but it is intimate. And this is what Jesus is going on about here. The secret place with our Father is where we can be totally vulnerable. We can pour out our whole hearts to him. You could tell him things that you couldn't tell anyone else in the whole world. This depth of relationship is really what prayer is all about. If there are things that we are holding back from God, that will be the limit to which our relationship with him can go. But as Jesus says here, our Father sees us. And he knows us, and he actually knows all the things we need before we even ask them. So it would be good for all of us, and I speak to myself here, to accept that he sees us all of the time anyway. He sees your thoughts and your fears. He sees your shame and your guilt. He sees your struggle and your hopes. He sees all the bits that we really like about ourselves and all the bits that we absolutely despise. And ultimately, he beckons us into this secret, intimate place and says, share it with me. He'll only do that as much as we let him. So the challenge is always for us to be vulnerable. But this is the path to a deeper, more fulfilling, more real experience of our faith and of the God who loves us. Because Jesus is at pains to describe him here, three times in fact, as a father. And the word famously that Jesus uniquely uses is Abba, which is a sort of Aramaic word which really um, connotes intimacy and love of a kind, warm father, but also of the strength and power of a good father. One in whom we can find safety. In practice though, To approach God in the way that Jesus did, to see him as a loving father, this may involve for many of us revising some wrong-headed notions of what God is like. The truth is we all carry internal images of what God is like from our childhood. Some of them are helpful, some of them are actually deeply distorted Many people, for example, grow up with the idea of God being this sort of far-off, white-bearded dude in a throne somewhere, mercilessly recording all their defects, and someone that is barely um, possible to approach. And if we do approach, we need to do quite a lot of genuflecting and kind of um, scrabbling along the floor, because he might smite us. This was definitely my experience of God. He was just angry the whole time. Why would anyone want any dealings with someone like that? You can understand why you would avoid ever coming to a closeness and an intimacy with a God like that. So it may be that the images of God that you have been given, that you have been carrying around with yourself, they need to die they need to be cut off. And you can actually do that this morning. Why don't you just leave them in these soon-to-be-recovered pews and never, ever pick them up again? You can. Because they don't respond to the real one. And therefore, they're not doing you any good. There are many accessible images used in the Bible to describe what God is like. Besides being the generous father of Jesus' parables in the book of Isaiah, God is described like a mother who is totally devoted to her child. So if God as a father doesn't really work for you for whatever reason, it's fine to see him as a mother. If that doesn't work, he's also described as a friend, as a refuge, as a savior, as a hiding place. All of these images are given to us so that we might approach him as he actually is. Now, of course, God is neither a father or a mother or a hiding place or any of these things. He's God. He's just God. But these are given to help us be connected to him, to see him as his character actually is. So use the one that are most helpful for you when you pray. When I first became a Christian, people would talk about God being a father And I had no real um, understanding of what that meant. My my father was um, a a kind and nice man, uh, but he was totally emotionally absent. He died a few years ago, had a long battle with dementia. But when people talked about a father, what I experienced was a void. It was like, uh, that's nothing. But I did like Jesus. I love Jesus and so when I um, prayed I would just imagine Jesus because I thought he was great. But as I allowed Jesus in, what I found was this void of fatherliness, I had no idea what a father was or or what one was supposed to be like, it was completely replaced by a heavenly father who was perfect in every way, who was kind and strong and, and beautiful. This is what he wants to do. He wants to reorder the things that we have lost in our lives, the things that haven't been there or much worse have caused serious pain to us so that we might be put back together again and see him as he actually is. I just say that so that you can be encouraged. Whatever our experience is, God our Father is desperate to rewire the wrong notions that have been placed upon us so prayer is intimate and it's vulnerable and it's directed to our loving father but it is not complicated verse seven when you pray do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him Uh, Martin Luther, always good for a quote, not much else though, Uh, said that the fewer the words, the better the prayer. That was just a joke, I don't really like Martin Luther. The fewer the words, the better the prayer. This is good advice. For our own personal prayer life, although in your own personal prayer life, you can pray however you like, I don't really care. What I do really care about is praying in public. The fewer the words, the better I actually had a whole list of bugbears about people's, um, about people's habits when they're praying, which I'm resisting talking about, but I can't resist this one. Please, and I mean please, I'm asking kindly, please, can we all agree to stop telling God things he already knows? Especially, can we stop telling God things he already knows and prefacing the things he already knows with, God, you already know this. Can we please agree to never, ever do that again? God, you know my Aunt Agatha. God, you already know what a great woman she is. Yes, he does. God, you know that last week, my Aunt Agatha was on that bike ride. And you know that she fell off and she hurt her ankle. And you know that, don't you, Lord? Yes, he does. And God... You know that she wasn't able to deliver the scones she wanted to deliver to um, those people. Are they they on Randall Avenue or, or, or Lafayette Avenue? Well, you know. You know where they live. God, you know these things. Please stop it and just pray for something. Pray for something. The fewer the words, the better. Actually, whilst we're on the subject if it's your will. Jesus never, ever, ever, ever prayed if it's your will. Neither did the prophets, neither did the apostles. And yet, so many pray if it's your will. If you'd like to, but also you don't have to. The reason... Jesus and all the heroes of the Bible never prayed if it's your will is because they were already so steeped in his will that when they came to pray, they had no doubt that what they were praying for was his will. That is what we are aiming for. In fact, many of their prayers are so positive that they don't actually take the form of prayer at all. They are direct commands. Get up. Be healed. Walk. This should be what we are aiming for when it comes to our prayer life. To be people who are able to pray like this, we need to be people steeped, soaked in two things faith and the Spirit. Here is some more of Jesus' teaching on prayer John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. There is absolutely no way around it. Jesus really is telling us that we can do the things that he has done, all the healing and the deliverance and the resurrection and the miracles. He can do it. In fact, it is our birthright, and we might even do more greater things than that. We should just sit with those words of Jesus for a second. They are difficult to believe, aren't they? But this is actually what we are signing up for when you became a Christian. I know you thought you were just escaping hell, but no, much more than that. You are here, chosen by him, to do extraordinary things in his kingdom. So let's try and strip away some of the mystique. The key, here, the key phrase here is, in my name. To pray in Jesus' name is to do two things. Firstly, it is to pray knowing that Jesus advocates for us. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying on the basis that Jesus has won the victory over all death, all sin, the devil, all suffering and loss. He has done it on the cross. And he has reigned victorious and he has won you. You are his prize. He has bought you at a price. And he's adopted you into his family. And so, when you speak to your Father in heaven... You are relying not on anything you have done, but on him, the foundation of our faith. And his name carries extraordinary weight in the presence of the almighty God. Our name, not a lot, his name, he's given us this privilege to use it so that we might see his kingdom come. I was um, hearing about, apparently, Dakota Johnson, the actor, uh, before she was famous, she used to book tables at restaurants by using George Clooney's name. She would just phone up and go, I want a table for George Clooney, and she would get any table she liked, and she did this over and over and over again, and she was saying, honestly, it works, everyone should do it. And then she met George Clooney, and he said, I've heard about you, apparently you used my name to book tables. She was expecting him to be angry. She said, I think that's brilliant. Carry on doing it. This is a little bit about what Jesus does for us. He says, use my name. It has incredible power, much more so than George's. This is your birthright as a newborn son or daughter in the kingdom of God. It's what you have. It's what he's given you. So it means our prayers have incredible weight. In Jesus' name. Secondly, to pray in Jesus' name means to pray in accordance with His heart and will. Praying in Jesus' name means to pray His thoughts after Him, to pray the sorts of things that Jesus wants for the world. This has two elements: the general and universal, and the specific and circumstantial. The general, general, universal element is pretty straightforward. Jesus has made it very, very clear what he wants for his world. It's all there in the New Testament for us to read. It is an end to all death and pain and sorrow and suffering. So we pray along those lines, and we do not deviate. The vision of Jesus' kingdom is the baseline which determines all our prayers and the nature of them. So as much as we might might like to, it's kind of difficult to pray, God, I pray you'd strike down all my exes with terrible skin diseases because in your name, because it's not in Jesus' name. But it also means positively, when, um, as we are going to in a minute, pray for the situation in Ukraine, we can have complete surety of faith that this is what God wants, an end to all war, that he wants peace to flow like a river. So we don't need to equivocate or worry about how we do that. We just pray for it. That's the general universal element. The specific circumstantial element is where things get really exciting. Consider the fact that in Jesus's ministry, he doesn't just operate on general big picture terms. Rather, he goes to specific places, he speaks to specific people, He ministers to specific people. He does specific things. How does he decide where and who and at what time and how? Fortunately, he tells us, I only do what I see my father doing. Jesus is guided purely by his father's voice. He is so intimately connected to his father that as the spirit leads, he follows. And because Jesus is obedient to what his Father is saying, and because he is completely full of the Spirit, his track record of answers to prayer are perfect. Now, ours will never be, not this side of heaven. But this is the goal for us, to be directed, to have our steps uh, ordered by the Spirit of the living God. Uh, Søren Kierkegaard once observed, a man prayed, And at first he thought that prayer was talking. But he became more and more quiet until in the end he realized that prayer is listening. Hearing God's voice, being attentive to the Spirit's prompting, is a lifelong journey. But it is the journey. So even if we haven't embarked on it yet, let's just start. It's much better to start than to never. It's like riding a bike. You might fall off a few times. But the more you do it, the better you get at it. So what is God God saying? Now pray for it. This is the model. One definition of spirit-filled prayer is praying God's thoughts after him. The more we do, the easier it comes to pray prayers of great faith. Because we know that this is what God is doing in this specific moment. Um, uh, I was in a prayer meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago and someone who was there was saying uh, actually she wasn't saying she was just telling us about her husband um, having two interviews for two jobs but she, she was basically saying he's not going to get them what faith, <laughs> he's not going to get them it's just never going to happen, I mean he should but he's not going to get them because this city is terrible and um, we suggested let's pray and Whilst we're praying, I felt God say, he is going to get this particular job, pray for that particular job. I don't know why, but I did, and I felt a sort of compassion. It was like just a sense in my mind, so I'm going, I am praying for that, and I know it's going to happen, because I feel like God is saying it. Now, I've prayed for lots of people's jobs where I haven't felt that, but this one was particular. And we prayed for it. Two weeks later... She'd actually forgotten to tell us. I think she was a bit embarrassed. But she says, oh, so by the way, uh, he got that job. And I was like, I (laughs) know. That was me. (laughs) It raises our faith. Because we know that we are doing what God wants us to do. A couple of weeks ago in in the service, we were just praying for some people. And I just felt like God say, go and say this particular thing to someone. I went and said, and they had a huge um, reaction of, one, the Spirit meeting them, but two, being completely and intimately known by God. This is when prayer becomes exciting. Because we are in the flow of the Spirit. We are, with the heavenlies, doing God's work here on earth. I will end uh, with one last story, which I was just reminded of this week, so I thought I'd tell you. We were in a a big uh, meeting, and my friend, it had been sort of the end of a long conference, but my friend was leading this meeting, and it had just been a whole atmosphere of um, worship and prayer. And just suddenly he said, there is a girl here who cannot see in her right eye, and God is going to restore your sight now one of those sort of directive prayers that's not even a prayer. It's just an acknowledgement of what God's doing. What was really embarrassing is he then said, so who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And no one responded. But he would not let it down. He said, no, I know. Come on, come on. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? 500 people in the room. No one moving. I was like, should I pretend it was me? I don't know. It's (laughs) difficult to verify. Anyway, um that was a bit of, a bit of a downer, and then we went um that evening uh to um back to the church, and we were having a drink in the pub, and he was like, I was so annoyed, because I know God did that, because God showed me He was He was doing that, and I know He did that. And I was like, yeah, I want to believe you, but I think you got it wrong. Uh I didn't say that. And then this very shy American girl who was, who was basically there just on a holiday who had come to this um, uh, thing, she'd been forced by her parents, just came up and said, I was too embarrassed but in that moment I recovered all sight in my right eye which I've never had all because someone was listening to what God was saying and declaring God's kingdom praying for God's kingdom This is the power that you have. Now, do you think I could never do that? If so, you are entirely right. You could never do that. And neither could I. Neither could anyone. But he can. You are a Christian, if you are. A little Christ is what that means. And God has tasked you with being like Jesus, one who follows what the Father is doing, praying in the Spirit and seeing his kingdom come. So actually, if you are thinking, I could never do that, that's great. You understood the assignment. Now, let him take over and see how your prayer life can be completely revolutionized. Isn't it a million miles away from having to just go through a list of all the things that God may or may not want to do and having to pray for them? Isn't it more exciting to actually be involved with heaven right here, right now? A quick word before we pray for Ukraine on hearing God's voice. I realize that this is so difficult because people get really stuck. I can't hear, like, how do you hear it? Please give me the keys. Uh, I think there are no clear um, ways in which I can just say this is how people hear God's voice. It's very personal. What I can say is that the more we're open to hearing God's voice, the more likely we will hear God's voice. The more we ask for God to speak, the more likely we are to hear God speak. But it would be good to open up our imaginations and to think, oh, those things popping into our imagination, that could well be from God. I wonder if it is. Let's go with it. One thing I often feel is just compassion when God is speaking. Jesus, says, had compassion on the crowds. And compassion should always be the underlying reason to pray for anything or everyone. When I feel compassion for someone, even people I've never met before, even people I don't like, imagine that, I feel like I should go and pray for them. I like everyone. I love everyone. But its I know that God is with me and God is saying, pray. Be open to your imagination, your feelings, your words and your thoughts, the things that you see in nature, the things that you see in people. This is all the ways in which God speaks. And the more we act on it, the more we can go, oh yes, that is actually how God speaks. I will know for next time, and I'll know for next time. Good, we're all learning. We're all novices. So let's pray, shall we?